everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. I'm your host, Mike Wobshaw. Wobby coming to you from the road, not in the comfy confines of my home recording today. Other business has put me on the road, but not more important than being here with you all to talk Minnesota Vikings. So we record from the road, a first for me, and I'm joined as usual, though, uh, by my partner and co-host, Giles. Hey, partner, how's it going? Hey, hey, happy Wednesday. Where are you calling in from today? We are in enemy territory, Giles. We are in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, talking Minnesota Vikings on the Wobcast 2.0. So I'm halfway between Milwaukee and Green Bay, on the road for business, returning on Friday. Spent the first part of the week in Chicago. Now we are in Sheboygan. We're getting stuff done, uh, but definitely in enemy territory. We had to stop at a couple of stores uh, to help us out with our photo shoots um, and not a lot of purple and gold walking around these parts, Giles. Uh, there's <laughs> a lot of green and gold here. And I will tell you, in talking to a couple of locals, they are feeling pretty good about their team right now. My, oh, my. I mean, six and six. They're maybe one of the most underrated teams in the NFL right now. Now, yeah. am I high on the Green Bay Packers? Absolutely not. For both uh, Minnesota Vikings fan reason and also a football fan reason. But yeah. I think they are doing far better than what we and the collective set of NFL fans thought they would do this season. Yeah. My, oh, my. Uh, yeah. But I think, you know, uh, considering your road trip here, if you can just take a quick turn up to Detroit, I think you're going to do a full NFC North rotation uh, yeah. to, to tour all the cities. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, definitely a lot different uh divisional landscape than i expected this time this season it is and isn't that what the nfl is good for you yeah know, is, of course surprises and twists and turns and plot changes yeah so yep the nfl is good for that and uh you know the vikings have experienced a lull of late uh even in the bye i think you kind of couldn't help but feel a little disappointed in what happened uh, mm-hmm. with some other teams winning games that you were hoping were going to lose. And the Packers are experiencing the opposite at this point in time. They're experiencing a resurgence of sorts. Um, but we still have five games to go. In fact, the Vikings and Packers do play one another one more time this season. So, um, you know, as as my wife was sort of loathing what was happening, I was like, there's there's five games left. I know it feels short, and and before you know it, the season will be over, but five games is a lot. A lot happens. This is a week-to-week league, as they say, and um, a lot's going to happen between now and, and the end of the season. And, and for the Vikings, uh, the first step in that is a game against the Las Vegas Raiders, which we will discuss uh, in a little more detail here momentarily. Uh, but a couple of things to get to first. I think you know the Vikings emerge from their bye, Giles, and have a final stretch of games to tackle here as they look to make what really you have to term an improbable run to the playoffs given what they've experienced, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. a really slow start, stumbling out of the gates, losing Kirk Cousins, losing Justin Jefferson. Um, And here they sit at at 500 at 6-6, and uh, experiencing some things that would have knocked a lot of teams out. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the Vikings have been resilient and have fought back and now are in position to battle uh, for one of those uh, last two wild card spots. I say last two because I think Dallas or Philly will certainly have uh, one of those. One of those teams mm-hmm. will win their division. The other will be the wild card. And that leaves two wild card spots up for grabs. And the Vikings are certainly in position uh, to battle uh, for one of those at 6-6. Six and six. And in fact, right now, they'd be the sixth seed. So um, a lot on the line still for the Vikings. And before we talked about that Raiders game, Giles, there were a few things that you and I sort of discussed that we wanted to hit on. And um, let's start with maybe... Um, where you would start if you were going to make a list of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And that is Justin Jefferson, who is um, 
eligible to return, is on track to return, and is, I would hope, going to return uh, to the Vikings lineup on Sunday uh, when they go battle the Raiders. Are you presuming he will return, or is there any part of you that wonders if he will continue to slow play this for lack of his own contract or doubt about the team's ability to qualify for the playoffs given their quarterback situation, gals? Are, are you sure he will play Sunday? Without question. I think he'll be on All the right. field taking reps and ultimately showing the world he's back to his exact true form. And I think that comes from two reasons. I think he is a true competitor. I think there's been question about that in the, the fantasy football world, but I don't think that's ever been in question. He is the ultimate competitor. It pains him to not be on the field. But with that being said, he's also a smart player and he doesn't want to prolong his injury. So I think he he played the, the injury correctly in terms of how many games he was out. Um but additionally, I think another big talking point here is that he's about to get paid monster money. And if he doesn't put himself back on the field, I think he doesn't make absolute monster money. So if he's even thinking fiscally, he needs to put himself on the field. And so I don't think there's any question about him uh, suiting up on Sunday. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see that. And yep. furthermore, when you think about kind of all the different things that the Minnesota Vikings need to address during the bye week, which obviously we're now at the tail end of that, right? Um there, there's a few things that I think the Vikings needed to address if they're actually truly wanting to make a run here. We'll get into more in a, in a little bit, but to your point, we're now six and six, and we have lost major elements of our team, and we're still, we're still in the dance, right? I mean, we're still in a, in a possibility to to make a run on this. Yep. And one of those is Justin Jefferson, if you're being completely honest, and the things that need to change during the bye week, and that's getting Justin Jefferson back. Now, we'll get into more uh, more of it here in a second, but regardless of who, of you, who you have at center, or under center, rather, Justin Jefferson is the ultimate inaccuracy eliminator. He is a guy that can make a yeah. average quarterback look great. He can make a bad look a bad quarterback look good. And that's not a, a comment on necessarily what our quarterback position is right now. But the point is it elevates your game period. It opens up other players. I think it opens up Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson. Yep. It is a piece of your offense that is absolutely required. And I think we have noticed his, his absence uh, in the last few games, uh, clearly with the, the box score. Don't you think that maybe the person who's seen the biggest uh, drop has been Addison? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like there was a little, a little period there where he, he kind of stepped up and maybe was the beneficiary of, of more targets because Jefferson wasn't there. But I think over time, Giles, I think that extra focus being available because Jefferson's not there to focus on some of that extra focus was allocated to Addison. And I think that hurt him. So yeah. um, from, from a practical standpoint for a player and then from a play calling and play design standpoint, you know, the return of Jefferson is a big deal, I think. Um, plus I think it's kind of, kind of dovetailing off of that from a, an opposition standpoint, there's just less stress and strain and, and quite frankly, less time when Jefferson's not in the, in the mix. Mm-hmm for your prep. I mean, yep. putting Jefferson back in there is like, like literally the defensive staff loses sleep over that. Like they, they sleep less because yep. they yep. have more things to scheme up and worry yep. about with Jefferson. So I think, um, I think from that standpoint, his return is a significant one too. So, um, I mean, we're, we're not just talking about your run of the mill, best receiver on the team. We're talking about the best receiver in the NFL is returning yep. to the lineup. This is a significant, addition and 
you know, the Vikings have had an extra week to come up with ways to get him back, right, mm-hmm. uh, and, and to put him into their their offensive flow. So, yep. um, I I think whenever you come off a layoff, there's always a little bit of you got to ramp it up and get back up to speed. But yep. I think that's even I think it's less than normal in this case because the way the rehab was handled and the return was handled, they were making sure he was a hundred percent. You know, he even made a comment, Giles, the week before the bye that, you know, I I don't quite have my I get a little fatigued still. I don't quite I can't quite get to top speed. Mm-hmm. And so that should all be gone now. So there yes. shouldn't be any of that slow ramp up to get back. I, I, I think it's about as close to hitting the ground running as you can get. A hundred percent. And I think with that speed comes the impact that you were mentioning. He is a type of player that forces defenses to change their scheme. Uh, on a game by game basis, we need to completely sure. adjust to try to stop him, which I think in turn then once once again yes. uh, helps Jordan Addison, because I think Jordan Addison is a actually great receiver. But one thing he has definitely going against him is that he's a small guy. And I think with the the absence of Justin Jefferson, it forces teams to send then say, all right, we're going to focus completely on Jordan Addison. And with the double and triple teams that they have been putting on him, uh, he hasn't been able to overcome that due to his size. I think he's a great route runner, but he can only do so much with his physical nature. So I think you're actually maybe going to see a just or a Jordan Addison coming out party again with Justin Jefferson being back on the field because all the attention will be applied to JJ. Yep. Yeah. Good point. All right. Um, so we, we align there. Uh, we both expect to see him Sunday, and, and we're both anticipating maybe a, a not much of a ramp-up process there, and it's almost plug-and-play, so that's good. Mm-hmm. I, I think there may be another topic here that we're going to talk about that may offer we, – we may offer uh, the audience a little bit of a divergence here, uh, possibly, and that that's the quarterback situation. Now, mm-hmm. I, I believe that – would you agree, Giles? We didn't get to talk after the the last game um, because I was out. Did did you? Would you say it was fair to say that head coach Kevin O'Connell was less than um, reassuring for Josh Dobbs after the the last game? Yeah, I I yeah. don't. And now maybe I've missed a headline or a quote or something since I've been on the road here the last few days, but. I don't think it's been clearly stated who's going to play quarterback. Do you think it's it has, clear? Yeah, it is not clear at all. Oh, and I yeah. think that is evident for a couple of reasons. I think one, if you if you rewind the clock back to the Chicago Bears game, I think it was evident uh, through the play calling that Kevin O'Connell was not trustworthy of the current quarterback under center. I just yeah. all, all due respect to everyone involved. If you're looking at spade to spade, his play calling indicated he did not trust the quarterback, right? And I think that ultimately is what caused us to lose the game. Now, you can make your accusation on whose fault that is. Like, should Kevin O'Connell have switched out quarterback mid-game and and tried to find a quarterback he does trust or adapt his play calling to fit that quarterback? There's a lot of different options that we can chat through. But I think, one, his play calling clearly indicated that he did not trust Joshua Dobbs in that game. And obviously, he threw four interceptions, so that's that's obviously an issue. Um, but the other was in the post-game presser after the game. He was directly asked who would start, um, and he declined to answer. He's like, well, we'll, we'll figure it out, right? Uh, and I think that definitely goes to show that that is, that is clearly under evaluation. Now, I mean, from a face value standpoint, you have three separate options. You have Josh Dobbs, obviously. You have uh, Nick Mullins, and then you have Jaron Hall. Um, Or uh, secret option D if you want to bring in someone else that's a free agent. But all all intents and purposes, I think, or all intents and purposes, I think you have those three options. 
And the fact that they're not committal to that tells me that they're going to make a change. You, you tell yeah. me if you would disagree based on what you're hearing out of the, the, the building. But I think when you evaluate all three options, Josh Dobbs, although he is a great backup, he has tremendous upside. I do think he is still a backup. I think he is one of the best backups you can have in your locker room where if he has to step in in a pinch, he's a guy that can make plays, right? Yeah. Uh, but when you think about his strengths and weaknesses and more specifically on the weaknesses, he is not a great accurate passer. Now, JJ could maybe help eliminate that, like I was talking about before with the inaccuracy eliminator. But Josh Dobbs offers a mobility and a scramble nature to him that can save plays. But when forced to stay in the pocket, I think he struggles with picking apart defenses. And I think it was evident against the Broncos and the Bears. Both units, both the Broncos and the Bears, are very good. They are above average at playing contain against mobile quarterbacks. If you're looking at, uh, you know, the kind of the defensive structure in both teams, they were great at rushing the C gap and that contained Josh Dobbs. And that yep. either led to the play failing or like clockwork, Josh Dobbs would immediately run backwards and then it would ruin all the blocks, making Brian O'Neill and Christian Derrissaw look horrible. Um, you know, so I think our offensive line play, while Kirk Cousins was in the, in the uh, lineup, they were playing Pro Bowl level across every almost every position. And now they've been looking relatively bad the last two weeks. And I think that is directly applied to the style of play that Josh Dobbs bring to the table, which I don't mean, mean to completely tear it apart, but it's that much different than Kirk Cousins, even down to the, the drop back uh, cadence. I think Kirk Cousins, love him or hate him. One thing he is phenomenal at is he is Mr. Consistent with the number of steps he takes backward uh, in a drop back. And Josh Dobbs, almost every play is different. And yeah. if you're an offensive tackle, that is a nightmare because you have no idea what lanes you're trying to protect. And so all, all, all that to say, that thing is falling apart. Now, if you're looking for consistency, I would be of the, the frame of mind to try to make a change at quarterback, which then brings you to a Nick Mullins or to a Jaron Hall, which we can chat through. But what are your thoughts on that when it comes to Josh Dobbs? Yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're, you're as usual, you're very sharp today, Giles, on some of those points. I mean, the, the running back, I was in the building for the, the Bears game. I mean, mm -hmm. the the quick nature fleeing of the pocket and running backwards thing absolutely wreaked havoc on the offensive line. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're an edge rusher, there's nothing better. So often, edge rushers, when they execute a pass rush, you see them, they're on the outside, they're trying to get around the tackle, mm -hmm. and then they, they fly past the quarterback, right? Yep. You see that a lot. Yep. That's because the quarterback has reached the top of his drop and he has stepped up into the pocket, like climbing mm -hmm. a ladder, climb the yep. ladder back up into the pocket to make a throw. Yep. yep. And the way, and you're alluding to this, the way the pass protection is designed, it's literally lanes for you to throw through, mm -hmm. to see through and to throw through within the pocket. Mm -hmm. Now, you get pressure from the middle, from the inside, you got to dance around a little bit or maybe even leave the pocket. Mm -hmm. But the edge rushers getting around the tackles is okay if you step up into the pocket. Mm -hmm. And that is not was not happening with Dobbs um, against no. the Bears. He, he was playing into the hands of edge rushers. I think even against Denver that was happening. So yeah. you're totally right. And I've been critical in the past of saying when everything operates perfectly around Cousins, he's great. But if he has to improvise, he struggles. And I think what we're seeing is it wasn't all just, yeah, it's happening perfectly around Cousins, so he's performing well. Cousins is a big reason why it was operating perfectly, mm -hmm. right? Um, that consistency so, allowed everyone else to uh, have predictability to their game. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so I certainly do not think the Vikings, you know, head coach Kevin O'Connell made it clear that Dobbs was playing. I, I read it the same way you did. Now, it's okay for that to happen after a game, after an emotional loss, after a close game, whatever. But usually the next day or soon after, either via a press conference or an intentional leak of information, a vote of confidence comes out about the quarterback. You know, yep. um, and, and that, that was indicated not- yesterday. Uh, actually, Wes Phillips came out and said that they will be announcing the starting quarterback today, which, okay. in, in in my opinion, also says, hey, we're thinking about if you're having to think about who you're, you're playing at quarterback. I think that's almost assuredly uh, an indication that you're changing. Right. Yeah. If you plan to keep with Josh Dobbs, you yeah. wouldn't have said that because that creates doubt in the mind. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, so I think it all but confirms they're going to make a change, which then leads you into the Jaron Hall or Nick Mullins, Mullins. conversation. All right. So. I. I truly, I truly don't have a good sense or feel for it, you know, in reading the tea leaves and reading between the lines. I, I think I'm inclined to, if it was my call, I'm inclined to lean toward Mullins, Giles. Mm-hmm. Um, his knowledge of the offense and his experience in the past in this role is why. I mm-hmm. think that he settles things down. I think that other players like Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson, Oliver, Darasaw, O'Neal. I think that other players can rest easy knowing if I do my job properly, the quarterback mm-hmm. is going to do his. Now, he may not have as good of an arm as Kirk Cousins. He may not be quite as accurate as Kirk Cousins, but Mullins is not going to hang me out to dry Yep. by, by virtue of the fact that he's got inexperience or he – doesn't know the offense or whatever. So I think that Mullins' presence would ease the anxiety of a lot of the other players. Mm-hmm. So, and I think coaches desire that, make the routine plays routinely. They, they desire that consistency, that safety. They like to be conservative in lineup decisions in that way. So that's what I think I would do, and that's what I'm anticipating but I don't stand on the table and pound my fist saying that's the way it should go. I, I think there's a very compelling case for Jaron Hall, and I'm anticipating that you're going to make that case. But I'm, yeah. I'm more on the Mullen side. And I, and I totally understand that logic, and I think it really depends on what frame or what lens you're looking at the team at right now. If you're looking at it from the lens of winning as many games as possible in 2023 – I could definitely be argued into the Nick Mullins conversation. But with yeah. that being said, I'm trying to focus on both now and in the future. And and maybe I'm improperly weighting this against the Josh Dobbs conversation. But uh, when I look at Jaron Hall, in my opinion, he actually presents the best option. Because when I look at Nick Mullins, I see someone that is an aggressive backup. Uh, aggressive is maybe the proper term. He's a guy that likes to push the ball down the field, but also presents some turnover tendencies. When you look at his his past, he'll push the ball down the field, but he's also going to throw some turnovers. And I think that is also one of the indictments against Josh Dobbs is that he can move the ball down the field, but he's going to throw some turnovers. So when you think about the reasons that we have lost every game that we've lost this season, it has been directly because of turnovers, in my opinion. Remove those and we win those games, period. We're one of the best teams in the league in a lot of categories, except for turnovers. That is train wrecked our team. Um, so if you're trying to remove that, that, that uh, you know, part of the formula, you know, part of the equation, 
I think Nick Mullins is kind of a, a concern from that standpoint because he does turn the ball over a lot. Now, I do think he does know the offense a lot better. So if you're looking for a certainty, Nick Mullins is your guy, right? If you want a, you know, the the, the best certain option at quarterback, I would I would be inclined to agree with you from Nick Mullins. However, I am looking at it from the lens of this year and next year because you have a big decision to make at quarterback. And I, I believe that Jaron Hall is the one guy in your quarterback room that you don't have complete certainty on. And I, lo- and I look at that from the standpoint that you should go figure out if he is that guy. Is he a backup or is he your future? And let's, let's get a termination on that. If you play him for yeah. a game or two and realize that he's not the guy, that's not a bad thing. That is a, that is a, a determination you're able to come through from then. Then, then that helps you make a decision, uh, you know, in two, two to three games, like, Oh, let's put in Nick Mullins. Uh, and also more importantly, at the end of the season, we, we now need a different option at quarterback. Josh Dobbs is clearly not the long-term option. Jaron Hall is not the long-term option. It provides a lot more clarity in your decision-making. Um, furthermore, when we have put in Jaron Hall, he has not been a train wreck. Now, albeit he, he's had very limited snaps, when he did play, I was in very, very intrigued by his his performance. He was mobile. I think he's honestly a little bit more accurate than every other quarterback we have in the, the locker room. You could make an argument against Nick Mullins, and I'll, I'll have that conversation, but I do believe he's one of the most accurate people we have in the building outside of Kirk Cousins now. Um, so if you think about that, if we can eliminate the turnovers with Jaron Hall, I'm inclined to go that option. Mm, interesting. I, I think... And I and I'm not surprised that you were able to make the argument compelling. Uh, that is certainly the other side of the coin, and it's a good one. And Jaron Hall was not a first round pick, but he he also wasn't you know scrap something they picked up off the scrap heap. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they obviously saw something or enough in him to believe he'd have a chance to take him where they took him. So. You know, you do you do right by your draft process to give the guy a shot when an opportunity is there and you're not forcing it. And and playing Jaron Hall right now would not be forcing it. And you would gain a lot by what what you're saying is you gain by getting an answer. It might not mm-hmm. be the answer you hope for, yep. but it's an answer, right? Yep. And and so often there are quarterbacks probably who never got the chance to give the answer and Jaron Hall would have the chance to give you the answer. So there's certainly value there. And if you're going to experience turmoil, uncertainty and substandard production, why not experience that while also gaining an answer uh, to the Jaron Hall question overall? So that, that, yep. that's a yep. good thought, Giles. Um, I, I will find out what they're going to do here very shortly. Um, I do think, though, that there needs to be a heavy emphasis. Whatever the decision they make, the narrative around that by Kevin O'Connell needs to be, we're all in on 2023. Because Jefferson's coming back. You've, like, the defense is, is playing great and has bailed you out and has kept you in this. And the NFC, after San Francisco and Philly, the NFC is, yeah, yep. right? I mean, uh, it's right for the taking. Yeah, yep. There's there, actually man. a realistic route. Yeah, and I am not going to be one to sit here and predict that the Vikings could get in and go to San Francisco and win and go to Philadelphia and win. and go. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that a playoff spot is there for the taking. And so I think mm-hmm. the Vikings should be focused on winning this year. Um, and if they go to Jaron Hall, it's a little bit of a long play or a futuristic play, 
but <laughs> they should spin it and talk about they think he can win enough games to get them into the playoffs. That They should spin it that way. And if you are comparing Jaron Hall and Josh Dobbs, I actually think if you were to run both of those scenarios in a in an isolated environment, I actually yeah. think you maybe have the exact same record. Now, that is me trying to be conservative on my estimate with Jaron Hall. I actually yeah. think he could be a good quarterback. But, um, you know, if you try to compare those, I think you actually have the same number of wins because of the amount of turnovers that Josh Dobbs provides. So if you're if you're comparing those two as the guys that you want to move forward with, Jaron Hall is my pick. Uh, all uh, you know, every time. I mean, the past or not is a fun story, but I think his turnover potential. Teams have now figured out the the game plan against Josh Dobbs, and I think he's going to train wreck your ability to go win games. But with that being said, I truly think if you do put Josh or uh, Jaron Hall into the game, both scenarios that I see in, in an outcome are wins. Uh, if he starts winning. Like then you've proven, oh, we stumbled into a guy in the later rounds of the draft. This is awesome. Now we know how, yeah. maybe let's build our team around this. Or if he's horrible, you have now proven that. And now more than likely you're six and 11. I yeah. mean, or, or I mean, uh, you know, a little bit less than that. And now you're maybe going to have a fringe top 10 draft pick, which now puts you in a position to maybe go draft a quarterback if you do want to go that direction. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think. Because he's been in the locker room since training camp, that's a lot better than Josh Dobbs, who's only been there for a few weeks. So I think he knows the playbook a lot more. Um, but I, I mean, ultimately, I mean, there's a chance that Nick Mullins is going to be under quarterback, especially. I mean, you can speak to this more considering the Wolf's posture on paying people. But Nick Mullins is making the most amount of money in everyone in the quarterback room. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, uh, there's a chance that may that may uh, <laughs> shed some influence on the decision. Yeah, yeah, I think. It, I mean, that's. I think it's it's not, hey, who's making the most money? Let's play that guy. I, and I know you're not saying that, but it's like they chose to pay Nick that amount of money, which tells you they have a certain amount of confidence and belief in him, which tells you maybe that's what they're going to lean on when they're mm -hmm. un, unsure of what to do, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, it, it will not surprise me if they go towards Mullins at all. Yeah. Um, and I think you make a good point that whether they go with Dobbs or Hall, the record might be the same, but I don't think the benefit is the same. I think the benefit of getting an answer on Hall outweighs any benefit that Dobbs gives you. So um, yep. it'll be interesting to see which way they go. We'll find out here maybe as soon as today. Uh, we're, yep. we're recording on Wednesday. I'm, I'm sure um, word could certainly uh, spread about who the Vikings decide to go with because whoever they've decided to go with is going to get all the reps uh, at practice mm -hmm. today. And, Media will be covering um, the early part of practice, and even when media leaves, sometimes word tends to get out on what happens at practice. So um, yeah. before we um, cast our gaze toward the Raiders and, and preview that game, Giles, one more. Um, Bi-week self-scouting changes. Are you anticipating anything in particular? Are you hoping to see anything in particular for the Vikings now that they've had a, a little bit of extra time to scout themselves? and then will emerge from the bye on this five-game stretch um, with some of those changes in tow. Anything in particular you're hoping for or anticipating? Um, one comes from the running back room. I think uh, based on the, the, the last maybe three, four games, I think it's proven that maybe Ty Chandler needs to get a lot more involved in the running back room. Now, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest Ty Chandler fan, but I'm also not against him in the same notion. But I think Alexander Madison has proven that he cannot be the the bell cow that we maybe need him to be. So in in the spirit of building a, a running game that is at least a threat to opposing defenses, we need to be able to be a little bit more consistent with the run game. And Alexander Madison has been a little bit of a 
um, kind of a hindrance to that. So I, I do expect the lion's share or not the lion's share, but I think the, the, the running back reps will be a little more evenly distributed, um, to be able to, uh, actually achieve once again, that, that threat at the running back position. So I do expect the run game to maybe look a little different coming out of the bye. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I think, I think it's going to be a constant mix and match and, mm-hmm. you know, ride with a hot hand or, or give a guy, you know, a break and let the fresh legs come in. I think the opportunity was there for Chandler to sort of steal it away from Madison, but I don't think he's quite performed perfectly either. You know, no, so, I completely agree. Not I asking think, him to be the bell cow either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think in a way Madison dodged a bullet because he sort of underperformed, which opened the door for Chandler, but Chandler didn't really jump up and grab it. You know, so mm-hmm. I think they got one A and one B uh, uh, there at running back, but. Um, but maybe the bye week gave O'Connell a chance to scheme up some things for Chandler, time yep. that he doesn't have in a typical week when he's breaking down what just happened and then getting ready for an opponent. He didn't have time to focus on Chandler. Like maybe part of Kevin O'Connell's, maybe he had like a six hour Ty Chandler time, you know, to figure mm-hmm. something out for him. So we'll see. Um, all right. Um, so perhaps in the running back room, I have one, but uh, I'll okay. let you. I'll let you lay out your any others that you have, and then I'm going to get to mine. Well, this may touch on yours a little bit, but I think it, it partially references what you just mentioned in our previous conversation. But I think all these different conversations are really in tune where I think uh, depending on the quarterback that Kevin O'Connell puts under center, I think that's going to have a direct impact on the play calling and the scheme that we move forward. There was even a, a loose mention during Kevin's uh, previous uh, press conference that he was open to changing the scheme to fit the quarterback. So I think there's a chance that we're going to see some new looks, uh, things that we haven't seen before. Now, normally that would really scare me midseason, uh, considering like when you just started to hum in a lot of categories and Kirk Cousins went down, you had a few like, wow, unexpected games with Josh Dobbs. Yeah. But I am a big fan of the talent that we have on this roster, especially with Justin Jefferson back. He's even though he was out for a few weeks, he's still a top five receiver, you know, statistically in pretty much every category. Um, you have one of the best left tackles in the league, one of the best right tackles in the league. Uh, TG Hawkinson is the sixth best tight end in the league right now. Josh Oliver is the fourth best or fourth best tight end in the league right now. You have some phenomenal talent on offense. So I think if you're going to change up the scheme this is the unit to do it with. Right. So I think you're potentially going to see some adjustments to how our offense operates. Yep. Um, I don't disagree with that. My, my sort of curiosity or like excited anticipation of a bye week scouting adjustment is with the defense. Um, Ooh, okay. Morris. Yeah. And I think, so you know how like a team, they can say, God, the bye week comes at a bad time for this team. They've won four straight and they're going into the bye, you know? Mm-hmm. I think if you sort of go a little bit micro on that, the okay. bye week came at an unfortunate time for the Vikings defense. Like the Vikings defense was was smoking hot, you know. Top and five like, in a lot of categories. Yeah, I mean, they're on fire right now, man. They're playing great. I mean, I, I believe – I think the last two games they have not given up a touchdown, and the Vikings are zero and two in those games. Yep, I believe, right? So, yeah, no, one hundred percent. And that the yeah. the defense was not the reason we lost those games. Yeah. In fact, like if you were to to kind of encapsulate that, but uh, you know, before the season and say that you could do that, we would have said we have the best defense in the league. Yeah, like so. 
they're they're playing great, man. And so now I'm anticipating not that the bye week has cooled them off and slowed them down. And I'm not even anticipating like, ooh, Flores had a week. He's going to come out and they're just going to look way different. I think they stay true to who they are. And who they are is aggressive. They mm-hmm. they they bring a lot of pressure. They they blitz and pressure a lot. Uh, they get to the quarterback, and they're able to to um, they're able to cause the other team to get out of body and make mistakes. Yep. And I think that's who they should remain. But I am sure that if you got Brian Flores into a room, cut open a vein, and got him to be honest with you, he could pinpoint three or four things that he would want to clean up and get a mm-hmm. little bit sharper at. Yep. And I expect those things to be cleaned up and to be very sharp. So um, I'm not anticipating like all of a sudden, you know, this thing's going to be way different, but I'm expecting the Vikings to be much sharper and much more cleaned up on defense. And really, it, I think the Raiders are and, and the Bengals are going to have a hell of a time scoring points against the Vikings. I, I expect both the next two opponents to have, I don't know if the Vikings will win those games. Yep. Um, because I'm not sure the Vikings are going to be able to score a lot of points either. But now the Lions, you know, have some weapons on offense and sh- and aren't as mismatched. But I mm-hmm. think the Raiders and and Bengals are going to they've got a tough road to hoe against this Vikings defense. So I'm very excited to see an even more buttoned up, put together, and well orchestrated uh, defense by the Vikings. I think. Brian Flores has been terrific, and he's had a week now to sort of cover up some ailments and and figure some things out. And so I'm I'm expecting the Vikings defense to really sort of not be under the radar good anymore. I think they're mm-hmm. going to be like on the radar good coming out yep. of the bye. I think that's a very astute comment and observation because uh, when you look at the Minnesota Vikings through the first like maybe three, four weeks, we struggled in coverage some. Uh, I wouldn't say we were a complete train wreck as a defense, but there was definitely some struggles uh, because we were getting very aggressive on blitzing and we got burned for it in a a lot of contexts, especially I think week three. Um, But since then, I think Brian Flores has done a brilliant job adapting the back end to be able to uh, cover up any holes because ironically, I heard this stat recently and I'd love your feedback on it. It's kind of a, a polar opposite paradigm here, but the Vikings yeah. lead the NFL in six man rushes. Okay. Uh, they also lead the league in three man rushes, hmm. which is very interesting when you look at the, the kind of the approach, because people would say they blitz all the time and they're all scenarios where they completely back off. Right. But almost every snap, they have six men on the line of scrimmage. Right. Yeah. And quarterbacks yeah. have no idea what's going to happen. Like sometimes they have Josh Metellus lining up in the a gap. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? Right. And I think we've been really been able to confuse opposing offenses on what we're trying to do. And I think through the first couple of weeks, we really struggled with how to maintain the back end so you don't get absolutely slaughtered when you blitz. And I think we've done a very good job ever since trying to button that up and, and adjust the, the coverages to be able to exploit that and make opposing offenses operate super fast. And we have destroyed, especially as of late, destroyed offenses on being able to achieve what they wanted to achieve um, because they couldn't do it quick enough. So yeah. I'm really excited for that. Um, and even uh, throughout the entire course of the season, all things considered through the first three to four weeks when we were struggling, we're still fifth and fewest touchdowns allowed defensively. Oh, wow. We are ninth and first downs allowed. We are 10th and best, uh, you know, yards per play allowed or, you know, 10th best. Uh, we're, we're seventh and fewest uh, rushing touchdowns. We're eighth fewest points per game. 
we're top 10 in every category with the entire season uh, under a microscope. When you look at the last, you know, maybe five, six, seven game sample size, we are top five in almost every category. Uh, We are, we are humming. Uh, And I think uh, like you said, we are now going to be an on the radar type defense. I think so too. Yep. Um, Interesting stat on having the most six man, the most three man. I would guess I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, tell Flores that and be, ask him why, like, what's, why do you think that is? Cause he probably yep. would know. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a basic explanation for it. Maybe it's right, but you touched on it. I think it has to do with showing that look and then you either go with it all mm-hmm. like you show six and rush six, right. Or you show six, like you're coming and then you're not coming at all. You know, and yep. you only send three. Um, yep. And you're dropping everyone else in coverage. You know, I think it's, yep. it might be a function of that. Yeah, um, very clearly they're relying on the player's intelligence saying, hey, here's what it is. If you see this look, go. If you see this look, go, you know, then drop back. I right. Mean, and being yeah. able to adapt on, on the fly. Yes, because if you're the quarterback and you see a six man pressure look, you're probably mm-hmm. sighted. You're probably adjusting that. Yep. And what you're adjusting to is quick is the quick game. Yep. So now now you snap the ball. And even if they don't bring six, you've adjusted all your routes to the quick game. So you're going with mm-hmm. a quick game against a, a three-man pressure look, which isn't good either. You know? Yep, so, <laughs> exactly. Forces yeah. teams to check down. Right. Yep. So, all right. Interesting. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn our attention here to the Raiders, unless you had anything you wanted to get to um, before that. No, let's head to Vegas. All right, let's let's indeed head to Vegas. The game is on Sunday, Giles, 3.05 p.m. Central Time, broadcast by Fox at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Vikings versus Raiders, yours truly, uh, will be in Sin City for the festivities. Looking forward to that. The Vikings come in at 6-6, six and six, fresh off their bye. They're 4-2 and two on the road. Um, Vegas comes in at 5-7, and seven, also off a of bye, so they're rested um, and, uh, and, and ready to go. And they are 4-2 and two at home. Vikings installed as three-point favorites. I think it might actually have been three and a half, and now it's down to three. The total on the game is 40 and a half. The Vikings would be in the playoffs if they started today, Giles, as the sixth seed. Um, The Raiders would be far out of the playoffs. In fact, the Raiders have had a lot of turmoil uh, in their own right, even more than the Vikings. They've gone away from Jimmy G. Aiden O'Connell is now their quarterback. They also fired their head coach, Josh McDaniels. Now their interim head coach is... Uh, Antonio Pierce, former Giants linebacker, um, uh, who's taken taken the reins there in Vegas as the interim coach. Um, a few comments I've made already today would probably uh, indicate who I think is going to win this game. Um, but let's get into breaking down the game, what you expect, and, and get into our predictions here, Giles. Um, from a game flow standpoint, I'm expecting it to be a little herky-jerky um, from an offensive standpoint. I think Jefferson coming back is great. They have Devontae Adams, who's awesome. They also have Josh Jacobs, who um, has had some impressive performances here of late um, and is a really talented runner. So it's not for lack of talent um, in some spots. Uh, To me, it's more um, quarterback play and then quality of defensive playmakers on the other side, I think is going to lead to a fairly lackluster offensive outing for both sides. So I see a low-scoring game here. I see a herky-jerky, probably some turnovers, just some very uneven offensive play uh, mm-hmm. in, in this game on both sides. So I expect it to be a little bit of a grinder and a low-scoring game. What, do, what are you anticipating? 
Uh, I completely agree. I think for all the reasons that you mentioned, I think uh, on paper, they have some decent players on offense, but they've really struggled uh, this season. Even Devontae Adams, who uh, not that long ago was considered the best wide receiver in football, is now, uh, in my opinion, playing at a a slightly above average level. I mean, he's still a great player. Don't get me wrong, but his performance has severely declined. Now, uh, maybe that's because of quarterback play. I think also he's aging out a little bit. Uh, I think there's a chance that that's happening. But at the end of the day, I think that's something for uh, the Minnesota Vikings to exploit, especially concerning our defensive output as of late. So um, really excited to see the kind of the defensive performance that happens. Uh, With that being said, I think uh, considering the Vikings deficiencies at the quarterback position, um, I, I do think we're going to struggle a little bit, so I do expect this to be low scoring. Now, uh, the one thing I'll keep in my back pocket here is that I know Kevin O'Connell is quite a... I don't want to call him an, an ego-driven personality, but he does not like to lose. Now, obviously, everyone in the NFL is that way, so don't get me wrong, but I think with the bye week, I really expect some some enhanced creativity from, coming from Kevin O'Connell. So although I am predicting a low-scoring game, I would not be surprised if we are surprised and he comes out and he goes gunslinging and we put up 30. Uh, if he really is able to figure out, all right, I had two weeks to prepare for this. I am not going to get uh, embarrassed in Sin City. Nice. So uh, I think there is definitely an element for that, but I do expect this to be a low scoring game. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and that would be really cool if Kevin could do that, you know, and some of the better offensive minds in the game in history had a tendency to have performances like that coming off of a buy, you know, mm-hmm. um, Andy Reid comes to mind as someone um, who is very adept at that. Um, And I think Kevin O'Connell has that to him, has that cerebral, creative, competitive strand in his DNA that would lead him to be a good – like it won't surprise me if when his career is done you look at Kevin O'Connell off a bye and it's very impressive. Like that's a thing I could totally see being a calling card of Kevin O'Connell. So that's a a good point. Yeah. Um, there is one – I have one concern from a personnel standpoint. Um, okay. And that's, that's Max Crosby. Um, <laughs> one of the best now, in the game. Yep. Now, the Vikings have a great set of tackles. Uh, so no mm-hmm. matter where Max lines up, which side, the Vikings have someone who's up for the challenge. But this, mm-hmm. this man is an animal. And he's one of those guys who can ruin a game if he is not neutralized. So the Vikings – that's probably, I would imagine, number one on their to-do list, you know, is on offense is, like, we got to block Crosby. But yeah. after that, um, no disrespect to, to them, but after that, I think it's it's a group that you can sort of get after and attack. Uh, but Completely. you got to take care of Max Crosby. Yep, I think you're going to see a lot of chip blocks with Josh Oliver and yeah. Brian O'Neill. I really think they're going to try to double up over there to try to try to uh, put that element out of the game. I com- I completely agree because yeah. um, he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. I think he's a top five tight end or a top five edge rusher right now. And I think uh, you know in some c- categories he is number one. He is he is a phenomenal force, and that's really kind of a commendation to him because he doesn't have a lot of great uh, elements on the other side. I mean. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you have Malcolm. Uh, it's pronounced Kunsi. I always forget exactly the exact pronunciation, yeah. but he's having an okay season. But he's definitely not a showstopper. So Crosby yeah. has been able to do that well by himself, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. not having an elite uh, force on the other side. So definitely something we need to consider. But I, I do think considering our tackle unit and with the the introduction of Josh Oliver, I think we're going to be able to, to scheme around that. Yep. So you know, I, I think that. I, I see the Vikings landing at about 20 points in this game, and I, I think they get a couple of touchdowns, one maybe in a sort of 
organic uh, way, but I think they get a touchdown here by winning the field position battle. I do not mm-hmm. think the Raiders are going to be able to move the ball consistently down the field to flip the field position. So I think over time, the Vikings will get a touchdown in the second half. Mm-hmm. That is a product of sound defense, Raiders punting a lot, and either a poor punt or a good punt return for the Vikings or a poor punt for the Raiders. Something like that will happen in combination with constantly the Raiders hitting their head against the wall. So I think a touchdown in the first half with Jefferson or Hawkinson. I think a touchdown in the second half uh, because of sound defensive play, a couple of field goals. I think the Vikings get to 20, and I I don't see the Raiders being able to get there. So I see 20 to 14 Minnesota winning. Um, Vikings will win, they will cover, and the game will go under. How about you? There you go. I actually predict a little bit higher. I think it's going to be more of a 24 to 16 Vikings win. Now, there's a piece of me that wanted to say 24 to 12, but I think uh, there's maybe going to be some squeakers there at the end where the the Raiders are going to be able to to get a little bit higher. But I do expect this to be a relatively handily win game. Uh, But I do expect the Vikings to be able to squeak into a 24 point victory. And it would be a big one for the Vikings if they could do that. Moving to seven and six would certainly keep them in the driver's seat of the wild card. Uh, chase uh, in, in the NFC. A loss here for Minnesota is really going to put them behind the eight ball and is going to put their playoff chances in severe jeopardy. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a very, com- although we aren't impressed with maybe the caliber of teams in that wild card chase, it is at least a very saturated market uh, for those wild cards. So uh, winning mm-hmm. is obviously uh, important here for the Vikings. And then uh, they have another winnable game uh, next week with the Bengals, although uh, the Bengals looked a lot better uh, this past week. Uh, Mm -hmm. in their victory on Monday night. But um, Vikings in position here to to be in that wild card chase and and, and sort of stay at the forefront of that, still controlling their own destiny, which is all you can ask for, especially for a team that's lost its quarterback, lost its its best uh, receiver for a while, uh, and has faced a lot of adversity. So I'm looking forward to the Vikings emerging from their bye, Giles, and and giving the Raiders a good run for their money. Anything we didn't get to here, uh, I'm sure your notebook is chock full because we haven't had a chance to record in a while. So I don't want to leave anything uh, on the sidelines here. I think uh, I think we've covered everything we need to cover for the Vegas game. I think uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we have victory Monday formation afterwards so we can continue on with the success here. But uh, we'll continue rolling with the punches. All right. Sounds good. We thank everyone for listening uh, to this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. We encourage you to like, subscribe and follow. Us and the Wobcast 2.0, you can do that wherever you follow all your other favorite football content. Uh, YouTube, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, please follow along, join the conversation, like, subscribe, and follow. On behalf of Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now. Vikings Raiders on Sunday. Enjoy the game, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Until then, Skull Vikings. <laughs>